welcome to the Unstoppable Freedom Podcast. I'm Jimmy Page. Thanks for tuning in again. And this is part two in a two-part series with Tom Cranowitter, talking about the American way and restoring our love for and appreciation for our founding fathers and our founding values. Enjoy. Without that moral foundation, in fact, I think it was John Adams that said that our republic, our system is not adequate uh, to govern anything other than a moral and religious people. Now, you know, for me, that makes sense, right? Because there are certain responsibilities that each one of us has as citizens. But I want to go back. I'm going to connect the dots on that one. But I want to go back to something you said earlier. You said that we have more in common with Russia or more in common with these these kind of communistic or collectivist um, communities. And I think you're right. And you said something else in one of the classes. You said that no constitutional founder could be elected today. Now, these are the designers, the designers of the American constitutional republic would be unelectable today. Why is that? Yeah, I mean, uh, J- James Madison, I, I don't think he he couldn't be elected. He wouldn't be elected, certainly not elected president of the United States. I don't think he could get elected to the House of Representatives. He couldn't get elected to most state legislatures um, because he would talk and think in categories mm-hmm. and and refer to principles that are widely and wildly rejected mm-hmm. by the vast majority of Americans today. And, and it's for that very reason. It's, I've spent, I'm sort of embarrassed to say, I've, I've spent way too much time around politicians. Um, uh, kind of wish I could have some of that time back. It, it, I've, even try, I've even tried to teach. Uh, I, I've done this in a number of different venues, like getting members of Congress together or members of state legislatures together. And it turns out m- most of them, there are exceptions, but most of them make terrible students because they're always used to hearing themselves talk, number one. And and number two, they don't want to acknowledge that they don't know something. Yeah. And so when you're in a in a room and the whole purpose is to learn and you won't acknowledge that you, you don't want anyone to know you don't know something, then it, it doesn't make for a very rich, you know, it, it, it experience. Yeah. But I will say this about politicians. Mm. Almost all of them are very smart, very clever in one way. Mm. They know what their constituents want. In fact, to use the term value, they know what their constituents value. Mm. And there's a reason why most politicians, they don't go around giving talks about the Constitution or property rights or the rule of law or anything. You know why? Because their constituents don't care. They don't value that. What they do value, they, they value hearing about what, 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 what's your plan to deal with COVID. Wow. What's your what program uh, you're going to do to give us money to go buy a house? Right. What what free thing can you offer us? Their constituents are interested in that. They value that. And so that's what politicians talk about. And what all this means is until we have some big radical, the 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 the, the Latin root of the word radical means means root it means it means the the, you know, the thing that the, like a carrot or a turnip or something growing down right the, the the root of it that really makes it what it is until we have a radical transformation down to the root of our culture we're going to keep getting really bad politicians and just you know the truth of 
the basic facts of the way our constitutional system is, you know, if we elect two or three or 10 or 20 good members of Congress, I mean, that's, that's good. It's better than zero, but the truth is they're not going to be able to do anything. 20 members of Congress can't get anything done. They can't repeal 150 years worth of terrible unconstitutional legislation. So we're talking about a, a big cultural transformation that must precede any kind of political transformation or political reformation. Well, that is a perfect segue because one of the things that you've talked extensively about in our LPR program is, of course, individual rights, uh, the proper and limited role of government. But the third piece is actively engaged citizens, right? And you said, I'll never forget it, you said there's a common belief that reveals the roots of our societal and cultural problems in America. And it's found in this statement. Uh, if we could just elect so-and-so, then we would fix everything. And it's dangerous. And it's dangerous for us as citizens to sit back and just say that, well, I'll vote and that person will fix it. Because year after year, election cycle after election cycle, we discover that that just simply is not true. Yeah. One, one, one of the great lessons offered by uh, the science of economics is, is the lesson of incentives. Incentives really matters. If you know what incentives and disincentives people are facing, you're going to know with, with a large degree of certainty. Now, we're talking about human beings. They have free will. They have free choice. So there will be outliers. There will be people who make unusual choices. But the vast majority of the time, choices are going to be made based on incentives. Yeah. And... The problem with a central plan, a regime of central planning and social engineering is not that there's one bad guy in charge or, you know, some number of bad people in some commission or committee or bureau. The problem are the perverse uh, incentives for injustice and corruption and control that get created when you give a small group of people total power over a large population. Um, bad things happen. You know, the, the basic story of collectivism is somebody gets either appointed or elected to some high position by promising things they can't possibly deliver. They say, I'll, I'll make sure that you have right free food, free housing, free education, free health care, all, all the stuff people want. And, and all of a sudden they're now in a position of power yeah. and, and all the people are looking at that person saying, okay, Where's our free food? Where's our free housing? Where, right? Where's all the stuff that you promised us? And this is when the central planning begins. Now, those in government say, hey, Jimmy, you're, you're going to go grow rice in the rice fields. And you say, but I, I don't want to. It doesn't matter. We promise free rice to millions of people and we need more. So you're right. Or you're going to go work in the hospital. You're going to provide health care because we promise free health care. And. And a lot of people say, no, they don't want to do that stuff. And the solution is that is then send out stormtroopers with machine guns yep. and point them at people and say, you're going to go do this whether you want to or not. Mm. And that is how these regimes of entitlements yeah. become these, these sort of soft despotisms, then eventually very hard, um, ugly despotisms. Now, you know, contrast that. I, I sometimes use the phrase... Uh, freedom trust as a way to describe 
the American founding. It was founded as a kind of freedom trust. Mm. And I'm going to generalize here, but this is this is true. The view of the founders was let's that this whole experiment in self-government will work if we do this simple thing. Mm. Let's trust each other as fellow citizens. Now, not in some naive, stupid way, but let's trust each other just in the basic way of, hey, you you run your life how you want to. You raise your kids how you want to. You run your business how you want to. Mm. You do with your property, whatever you, you know, buy it, sell it, whatever you want to do. And you extend the same trust to me. Mm. We're, we're not going to try to control each other as fellow citizens. But there is one group we are, we the people are going to control. Mm. And that's the political class. Because they possess something you and I don't possess. They possess the government's monopoly on legalized force. Mm. They can pass laws and they can arrest people and they can put people right. You and I, Jimmy, we, we have no legal power to take anyone's money away, to take one's property away. We can't put anyone in jail. We can't do those things. Yes. People in government can. And so the founder said, let's let's be very distrustful yeah. of those in government. To use a frame from Jefferson, a phrase from Jefferson, let, let's bind them down with the chains of the Constitution. Let's give them a little tiny area of power and make sure that they never use power out, outside of that. So you think about that. Citizens trusting each other to live their lives how they want and distrusting those in government. Yeah. Today, we've turned this on its head. Yeah. We have a political class who says, who says to me... Mm. Tom, you know who your greatest threat is? You know the greatest threat to your rights are? Jimmy. Yeah. Jimmy is you, 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 Jimmy and other fellow citizens. Oh, especially the ones that own a business. Yeah. They will rip you off and cheat you and and they will they will sell you poison labeled as as medicine, right? And they're going to hurt you. And the only people who can stand up to all those business owners is we the government. So you should put total trust in the government and distrust your fellow citizens. Wow. And that is that is harmful on so many levels. Number one, we're empowering all kinds of corruption and 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 power mongers in the government. Yeah. And simultaneously it fuels division yeah. and hatred and envy and tribalism right and conflict between and among citizens which we're seeing right in front of our eyes every day. America is becoming increasingly tribal by the hour. Yes. Uh, yeah. The division, the level of division and the level of skepticism of even of your neighbors. I remember during the, uh, the COVID chaos, um, you know, where our government and our bureaucrats were encouraging people to turn in their neighbors for not following the guidelines. And I can tell you, you know, of course, being the rebel that I am, I never wore a mask unless I, had to get on a plane. And even then I would find ways to not wear the mask. I just feel like all, all of these issues of force over freedom and over informed decision-making um, by citizens is just out of bounds. But then you have people literally turning in their neighbors. And you know the same is true for virtually all of the rights that we enjoy. And I think part of this speaks to the fact that we're dependent. We're increasingly dependent upon the government and systems for our survival. And I think one of the things that you talked about were the kind of these four elements of an engaged citizen that were self-restrained, mm -hmm. that were self-assertive, that were self-reliant, and that we have a deep civic yeah. knowledge and that we participate in the process. Yep. I find that we have basically a disengaged citizenry today, largely. But the good news is, at least from my seat, is a lot of people are waking up. 
there are millions and millions of people waking up. And I think part of it is we were exposed to exactly what was going on in our schools during these lockdowns. We've been exposed to this overreach of government. Is, is this kind of the rise of the citizen? Are we, are we sitting in an era that could become the rise of the citizen? It can be. I, and I hope it is there. It, 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 there are still big challenges in front of us. I mean, even, uh, you know, and here I'm, I'm going to encourage your, your listeners and followers to kind of do a quick little like self-survey, yeah. like, you know, ask these questions of themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, how, how many of you still want the, the, the federal government, you know, checking over, putting the stamp of approval on the car seat you use to strap your kid in your car and the medicines you take and right. And, and, and on and on and on yes. it, as long as, as long as uh, Americans look to their government as their protector from every kind of risk that there is yes. every right. Not, not just merely protecting their rights from criminals and invading foreign armies, but every kind of danger foreseeable, um, then we have a nation of citizens who are utterly dependent. You know, they, they, they look at their government as a combination of a part Santa Claus, right. Gives them free stuff Mm -hmm. and part like father figure, going to just protect them from every kind of harm. Um, truly free citizens, uh, they're, they're mature adults and they know that they're adults and they're willing to make their own choices and know that they're, they're going to have to accept the consequences of their, of their choices for good and bad. Sometimes they might make really wise choices and, you know, be, I don't know, wildly successful in business or something like that. Well, good, good for you. That was your choice. You deserve uh, all that. And sometimes they're going to make some bad choices, silly choices, foolish choices, and it might hurt. They might fall down. They might lose things. Uh, They might need help, which is one of the reasons you want family, you want friends, you want citizens who trust each other, know each other, because where we have a genuinely constitutional government, citizens rely on each other and they know it, 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 there's, but you know, this was, this was our story as a nation from the, not even the founding going clear back to like pre revolutionary colonial period. There was no centralized welfare state or any kind of assistance. When people needed help, they turned to each other. Yes. And they were both, they were both charitable and caring Mm. and loving and they were also self-interested. So, you know, one farmer, a tornado knocks down his barn and he asks for help. Mm. His neighboring farmers would help him. You know why? Because they knew someday a tornado might blow down their barn and and they're going to need help. So it was this, just this wonderful combination of self-interest and, you know, ca- caring about the people around you and actually wanting, wanting them to help. Um, that's what it would require yeah. is becoming mature adults willing to make our own choices, not living as perpetual children, not thinking of the government. Anthony Fauci is not our father yes. and he, and we are not his children. And he does not think about that. He is a bureaucrat incentivized by all the incentives bureaucrats have. Yeah. Um, it would be a nation of people who look at themselves as adults, not as children who actually care about their friends and family and the, fellow citizens around them trust each other and would start standing up and saying, Hey, you and the government get out of my face, get out of my life, get out of my kid's school, get out, get away. In fact, 
in fact, these organizations, these these regulatory agencies, I, I'm not merely opposed to this regulation. Mm. What we need are growing numbers of Americans say, I'm opposed to your regulatory agency, period. I think it shouldn't exist at all. That's when we really start to turn a corner. When we have growing numbers of Americans demanding that kind of independence yes. from government, that kind of freedom, yeah. then we've become a different kind of people culturally. And that's going to take all of us because, you know, I remember remember the isolation, the separation, the division that happened during, during the COVID crisis. And I remember thinking this, the casualty is going to be community. You know, and and the result of it, of course, is this sense of isolation that you're all alone. Um, you're looking for someone to save you or rescue you. And I think what's coming out of that, though, especially for people that love freedom and love individual rights and believe in our founding documents and ideals, is this idea that we need to come back together as a community, that we need to become more not only de- uh, independent, self-reliant, of course, more capable of taking care of ourselves, for, for example, you know, if you're depending upon the police to get to your home to stop a crime, you're you're anywhere from three to 13 minutes out. And so if you're not taking the protection of your own family. By, by the way, that, that that's if they show up at oh, all. And, yeah, yeah, that's right. And increasingly, they're not, especially in communities yeah. where they've defunded the police, which is an absolutely right. ridiculous idea. You know, but we have to take responsibility, uh, you know, have a resurgence of responsibility for our own lives and become more capable and also become more connected to our neighbors and our friends and our families. So, as you said, so that we can rely on one another. I don't want the government's help in any respect. Um, And I think that skepticism of the political class is is what drives that. My history, it goes all the way back to the Revolutionary War. I'm a son of the American Revolution. I always knew there was something patriotic in my heritage. My dad discovered that. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I really, um, I'm, I'm proud of. I'm proud of the fact that people in my lineage were standing for individual liberty. But you mentioned something really interesting. You brought up this idea of the bureaucratic class. And in the Constitution, let's talk Constitution just for a minute, because nobody knows the Constitution. Almost nobody knows what it says. It's just so disheartening. If we did, we wouldn't put up with half of the nonsense that's going on. Um, But it says in the Constitution that all all legislative power is vested with the Congress, the House and the Senate. Yet we have this whole bureaucratic uh, class of agencies um, that often dictate what we can and can't do. I mean, you think about this, Tom, EPA, CDC, NIH, FBI, ATF, FDA, all the public health officials, which ran amok during our health crisis. What we are seeing an egregious transfer of power and authority from the Constitution to these bureaucrats. How do That's right. what do we do? How, you know, like we feel helpless. Yeah. And, and just, just to, I'm going to add to the problem, then I'll offer some semblance of a, of an answer or a solution, but, but to add to the problem, we have a Supreme court that has utterly dropped the ball, failed in its responsibility to uphold the constitution. Now, now they're not the only ones. Remember the president's supposed to uphold the constitution. Congress is supposed to uphold. They, they all are supposed to, uh, but the court is sort of the, you know, the last relief that there is if there's some unconstitutional measure they do have an opportunity to declare that publicly to be 
unconstitutional and they've done just the opposite. All these independent regulatory agencies, which are patently unconstitutional, blatantly unconstitutional, uh, they've given the, the, the stamp of, of approval. And I, I want to just add a, re- a real quick, a, a historical example to show how, how deep this problem is. Um, one of the most brazen, blatant, unconstitutional pieces of legislation in the modern era is something called the uh, McCain-Feingold mm-hmm. Bipartisan Campaign Act passed um, uh, back in the early 2000s. And and when, what this does is this basically cr- it, it criminalizes how you use your money, Jimmy. Wow. It, it, this, the federal government is deciding who you're going to give your money to and who you're not going to give your money to. And you can go to jail. Uh, my friend Dinesh D'Souza went to federal prison. Yeah because he gave too much of his own money to one of his friends. Yes. Um, that bill went to the desk of Republican president, George W. Bush. Mm. And, and get this as he was signing it into law, he looked at one of his advisors and he said, you know, I, I think this is unconstitutional. I hope some, some judge or court strikes it down someday. Now that's the president of the United States. He, ta- he takes an explicit oath to, protect and defend the constitution right if he thinks that's a violation of the constitution why doesn't he refuse to sign it veto it and go announce it to the american people hey i am pushing back against this law because those clowns in congress are trying to betray your constitution that 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 didn't happen um so we're not going to find relief uh from the courts we're not going to find relief in the in the normal political class but here's one thing that's important to remember. Everyone, all those thousands of offices, agencies, bureaus, commissions, committees, entire departments, everyone was created by an act of Congress. Mm. That means Congress mm. has the power to alter them. Congress has the power to, say, decrease their funding Congress has the power to change what powers they have. Congress has the power in my, in my book, save the swamp. It's sort of a a satirical look at the administrative state, but I, I, I point this out. Congress could pass a law and take away the power to issue regulations that are binding on citizens on one side of one piece of paper. They could take that power away. And of course they could abolish, they could entirely eliminate any regulatory agency that they created. Um, so while we have a court that says, yeah, these things are constitutional. Okay. That doesn't stop. We, the people right from electing members of Congress and electing presidents and then commanding them saying, you know what you're going to do right now? You're going to get rid of one of these regulatory agencies, get rid of it, abolish it. You created this mess. Uh, you've been funding it with our money. It harasses us all the time. It shuts down shuts down businesses, makes our lives miserable, never achieves their results. Never actually, you know, all these agencies that were created as part of the war on poverty, never ended poverty. All the agencies created as as the war on drugs, never ended drug use. So you go get rid of one of these things right now. And we don't need the courts. We, our own Congress and president can sign legislation and actually get rid of parts of the administrative state. So this is a, a, a tremendous frustration, right? Because year after year, we elect officials who claim that that's what they're going to do, that they're going in there to drain the swamp or to clean up things. And some of them do have, they make an attempt for sure. And even right now, we're seeing it. We're seeing some of our 
newly elected officials, especially members, to be honest, in the Freedom Caucus, some of whom are my friends, they are actually going after this. Mm -hmm. They are trying to restore Mm -hmm. constitutional law. They are trying to return us to those founding principles. But it is a frustrational, it, it creates this frustration because we we send people to Washington. It seems that something happens when they get there and they stop representing us. I mean, even now, government, yeah. government, all aspects of government are being weaponized against citizens. Um, and we see it everywhere. In fact, we well, there, 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 there are two pieces to this. Um, one is there's now this machinery in Washington, D.C. that is virtually inescapable. Yeah. He, even the best intentioned person, the most principled person, they, they, they get elected mm-hmm. and they make all these promises. They're going to restore constitutional government, get rid of all these bad unconstitutional things. And then they get there. And in order to have an influence, yeah. they need to be on certain key committees. That's a big part of getting something done in, in, in the Congress. Well, the parties control those committees. So if you're, say, a newly elected Republican and you want on one of the key committees, the Republican National Committee is going to say, okay, okay, Jimmy, that's $2 million we need from you to put your name forward as a candidate for that committee seat. And you're sitting there saying, well, I I, I don't have $2 million. So the way they get $2 million, they start holding their fundraisers in hotel ballrooms, you know, right there in Washington, D.C., and they invite the kinds of donors and corporate organizations who have a vested interest in what government does to these events, Mm -hmm. and they start making promises in return for $25,000, you know, chicken dinners. And, And now they've become a crony. Now they owe all these favors, right? And, and so they become part of the problem as they're trying to solve their problem. They're trying to get into a position to solve the problem. And the only way they can do it is become one of the cronies who, who are the problem. I'll tell you this. It's super disappointing to hear that. And, and that makes sense, right? Because in order to be in a position of influence, these, a lot of these folks are selling uh, seats at the table. And then now they're beholden to the people that are giving to their campaigns or giving to their funding. And it's just such a mess. Um, yeah. Well, let, let me yeah. ask you this. You know, I know Abraham Lincoln's one of your favorites. And he said this. He said that America will never be destroyed from the outside, that if we falter and lose our freedoms, it's going to be because we destroyed ourselves. Um, that's true. It's in his Lyceum address. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's true. And, and I feel like we're, we're at that tipping point now where we have to make a decision whether we're going to come together and rally around our founding principles and virtues and values or if, if we really are going to come a part of the scenes, seams. What do you think is happening? What do you see? I wish I could predict the the future. I've never been good at it. Um, I mean, we, we, we there's a there's a mighty conflict right now, and one of the difficulties is that neither side understands the other. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guarantee progressives who are trying to transform the United States, they don't see themselves as destroying. Mm. They don't see themselves as destroyers. Um, at least not destroyers of something good. Any, anything that they're getting rid of, they think are bad things that need to be gone. 
They think of themselves as creators of something new and something better. They're refining America. They're improving. It's 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 why they have so much faith in progress. They yeah. think they're helping uh, to make progress, and 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 so from their point of view, anyone who opposes them is is not not just someone with different opinions. They're bad people. Yeah. People oppose from the progressive point of view. Right to oppose progressivism means you're you're either really stupid. Or, or, or you're really evil or, or very likely both. You're some combination of, of both things. Yes. Um, and of course, those, those of us who are devoted to this idea of constitutional self-government and all the virtues that that requires and the kind of culture that that requires, yeah. um, we see, we see progressives as an enemy, as a great threat to these things. Now, mm. can't, you know, is there some way is there some social reconciliation between these views? I, I, I don't know. And, and all of this is being amplified and animated by technology, by social media, right? I mean, th things were ugly enough and difficult enough, say, in the 1960s or the 1970s, and there was no Facebook and there was no Twitter and there was no Instagram. Now, right, the, the, our, our, our media technologies make everything more difficult. Um, I, I know we want to we want to end on on a good note and and honestly you know you mentioned Lincoln I can't think of a period in American history where that was more similar to our situation culturally the way citizens view each other than that period immediately before the Civil War I mean wow. you had you had two sides there who both both sides thought the way to persuade the other was to scream louder. Yeah and denounce them the other more viciously and they were they just kept the intensity the the viciousness just kept ratcheting up and up and up until america just became this powder keg and and you see the er eruption in the attack on fort sumter and there it is we're, wow. we're now we're at, we're at war there are people picking up guns and and shooting bombs at at each other yeah. um I, I, I pray and hope, and I, I don't want that to happen. It was, uh, I've spent my life studying the civil war and it was, it was a kind of horror that I don't think modern minds can fully get, understand that it was so terrible. And, and yet I, I see us moving toward some kind of terrible conflict. Um, I, you know, I would, I would ask fellow citizens to, to really think about the kinds of attacks, the verbal attacks and personal attacks that they launch against each other and, and, and try to emphasize what it is we have in common as fellow citizens. We are fellow citizens. We, all Americans are equally Americans, right? We're, yes. we're all fellow citizens of this regime. We, all of us have a deep interest in what the United States of America becomes. Yeah. And, if we can remember that and put that first before the discussions of disagreements, I, I, I think it would go some distance to helping those conversations be more productive. Yeah. And I think at the local level, you know, I was just thinking, what is the solution to this? I think it really is relationships at the local level and it's engagement at the local level, right? Because, you know, when you talk to your neighbors, you love and respect your neighbors. I mean, even if you disagree on some of the issues, it's not that big of a deal. But when you bring in this force-fed propaganda and media and the politics of it, where everything is used to divide us, I think if we can turn off some of that noise 
and then engage with one another in relationship and community, I think we can solve a lot of our problems, especially if we engage locally. Is that part of the solution? Yeah, I, I think it is. It, it actually reminds me of the the point I wanted to make a little bit earlier and I didn't get to it. I'll, I'll make it quickly now. Uh, I think it's important to remind citizens that 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 whole bureaucratic class mm. The, the you know what we, you and I have been talking about it sometimes we refer to as the administrative state or regulatory agency these the three million at the federal just just the federal government three million unelected bureaucrats who tell us how to run our businesses and all of that mm. um, that whole apparatus is rooted in a deep distrust in the American people wow. regulators do not trust you. That is why they are they they will tell you how to run your business before you even open your business. Wow. Right. You have to be in compliance. They're going to tell you, you know, what kind of deck you can build on the back of your house b before you even build a deck because they don't trust you. They think you are you're a combination as a citizen. Yeah. They think citizens are incompetent and corrupt mm. and dishonest and, and both at the same time. And wow. and so we need to be commanded on how to do everything when citizens sit back and think about that, 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 that we do. I did some focus groups once uh, I had access through a, through a friend who had some restaurants and we did these focus groups with young, most, mostly women mm. servers oh. in restaurants of all, all kinds of political backgrounds. This was no skewed sample at all. These are just regular young Americans. And the way we set up these, focus groups, we phrased it in terms of relationships. We did, we did, we gave no particulars. We just said, imagine there's, imagine there's a man in your life who's very jealous of you. Mm. He doesn't trust you. He thinks you're kind of stupid. He thinks you're not very honest. He wants a detailed accounting of where you've been, how you've spent your money, what you're, you know, day by day, hour by hour, but you don't get to know things about him. You don't know what he spends his time doing or how he spent, right? And these young women got angry. They started, you know, folding their hands and saying, I would never have a man like that in my life. Right. And like really getting angry because they were thinking in terms of personal relationship. Mm. And we'd say, well, ladies, that man or woman is in your life right now. A whole bunch of them. Mm. They're called unelected bureaucrats and you have to be in compliance with them mm. while you have no, in fact, in most of the time, you don't even know their names. Right. You have no idea who they are, but they know every detail about how you run your business. Mm -hmm. And they would think about this like, that's just not that's just not right. right. If we can mm -hmm. take that kind of moral relational message, right, that that's that is a way of framing the problem of unconstitutional bureaucratic government. Not in terms of, you know, there, there are no graphs or charts of how much money they waste or. Yes. This is very, it's emotional and relational things that everybody gets. Everybody gets why distrust and suspicion is bad in a relationship. And that's what we have in our own government. Our own government doesn't trust us anymore, yeah. which is why they regulate every move we make. Boy, and it's fascinating too, because they're getting us not to trust each other. So then we go to them to fix the, fix our neighbors or to fix the problem. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I think you're right. I think this local engagement, this reestablishment of community and relationships and really trusting our neighbors 
and trusting people in our community in a different way and having open conversations is really part of that answer. So, hey, Tom, man, this has been this has been a fast hour and uh, really helpful. Uh, Thank you for investing so much time in our listeners. It's going to make a difference as we we start to go back to our foundational values and and reestablish the individual liberties that we want. Appreciate you, my friend. Excellent. Jimmy, thank you very much for inviting me on. It's, it's, it's an honor to be here. Thank you. Bad. Yeah.